This is episode 249, featuring one of the most dominant ultra runners in United States history and author of Running Your First Ultra, the one and only Chrissy Mayle. Welcome to the Strength Running Podcast. I'm your host, Coach Jason Fitzgerald, and this episode is about the value of reflecting on your training. Joining me is one of the world's best ultramarathoners, Chrissy Mayle. Her book, Running Your First Ultra, has now been re-released, and the second edition includes a lot more helpful material, including a training log. We're going to discuss why training logs are so critical, how you can get started if you haven't already, what metrics to track, and the value of reflecting on your training. If you're new to the Strength Running Podcast, this show features training conversations, coaching calls, and experts in the running space to elevate your thinking about the sport. I want you to make wiser decisions about your training so that you can keep improving. Because if you better understand the process of improvement, when you recognize knowledge as a competitive advantage, you'll be a much better runner. But Strength Running is not just a podcast. Don't miss our growing YouTube channel where we have hundreds of videos on injury prevention for runners, short strength workouts specific to the sport of running, common training errors that I want you to avoid, and more. Go to youtube.com slash strengthrunning, subscribe, and you'll see every video that we publish. And of course, strengthrunning.com is where it all began. Since 2010, we've been helping runners around the world improve with our award-winning blog, our free email courses on strength training, nutrition, injury prevention, and improving your mindset, plus all of Strength Running's training programs and coaching services to help you accomplish your biggest running goals. Learn more about those at strengthrunning.com coaching. This episode is brought to you by Inside Tracker, one of my favorite companies that is investing heavily in the running community. They test your blood for dozens of biomarkers so you know if there are any red flags with your physiology that might be holding back your running. Then they give you science-backed recommendations to improve anything that might be outside of your personal optimal range. Get 25% off any of their blood tests with code STRENGTHRUNNING at insidetracker.com slash STRENGTHRUNNING. The code is STRENGTHRUNNING with no space, and all those details are at insidetracker.com slash STRENGTHRUNNING. We're also supported by the Spartan Race Series. Ever since I tried my first obstacle course race 10 years ago, I have loved these events. They're athletic, they're demanding, and they require you to be more than just a runner. They require you to be a well-rounded athlete, something that I wholeheartedly endorse here on the podcast. Go to spartan.com to find a local race near you, and if you're in Colorado, I hope to see you on June 12th at the Colorado Springs Spartan Race. That's spartan.com to find a short or long-distance obstacle course race near you. I also want to thank Paul at 74 for his review on Apple Music of this podcast. If you want to get on my good side, this is how you do it. Paul has been listening to the podcast for years and says that it's been a great source of information and motivation. Well, I'll absolutely keep up the work, Paul. Thanks for the review and letting me know I'm on the right track. Running pun intended. (laughs) <laughs> Our guest today is Chrissy Mayle, an ultramarathoner that has been a fixture in the sport for about 20 years. She's the author of Running Your First Ultra, now in its second edition, and has completed hundreds of races, more than 50 first place finishes in the female category, and several outright wins. She's won some of the hardest 100-mile courses on the planet, including the Hard Rock 100 and the Hurt 100 in Hawaii. Her longevity in a sport this difficult is something to admire. In this episode, we're talking about her new book, What's New, why she decided to include a training log within the book, why reflecting on your running is a surefire path to knowing more about yourself as a runner, and more. Without further delay, please enjoy my conversation with Chrissy Mayle. Hey, Chrissy, welcome back to the podcast. Hey, Jason, I can't believe it's been since July. That's crazy. (laughs) It has been. It has been pretty wild. Time does fly when you're doing fun things like publishing the second edition of your book and hiking 200 miles on the Arizona Trail. You've been busy. Uh, Just a little bit. Also got to add to that, I got to race direct the Chuckanut 50K again. So we had a two-year hiatus, if you will, due to the pandemic. And we were so stoked to be back in person March 19th. 
And on top of that, I bought a house. So life's been a bit of a whirlwind since we talked last. (laughs) Wow. A whirlwind in the best of ways, it sounds. All good things. And as I tell my clients, stress is stress. And I'm definitely feeling it in my body that I have been going pretty hard for a pretty extended duration at this point. That's why I'm standing right now. My back will not let me sit. (laughs) Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah, we could probably dedicate an entire episode to that one comment of stress is stress and how that impacts your training and your goal setting process and all that. I do want to talk a little bit about the Arizona Trail because you just went on this amazing adventure I'm a little jealous. It sounds awesome. I would love for you to give us a little bit more on uh, what you were doing there in Arizona, because the Arizona Trail is is really long, isn't it? The Arizona Trail is 800 miles long. It runs from the Mexico border to the Utah border. We're headed northbound. Most people, from best we could tell, do it northbound. There are some that go southbound. And I met a guy this weekend that's run it or hiked it, but from the Uh, Mexico border to the Utah border and back. So there's all sorts of iterations um, on all these long trails. It's really fun to get out there and meet the characters that are involved. The backstory on how we got to the Arizona trail is a little bit of a longer story, but two girlfriends and I bought plane tickets and flew to Arizona, Tucson, Arizona on August, August, excuse me, what month are we in? (laughs) April 6th. And we bought tickets in advance just to make sure we went. But then the like the bulk of the planning happened and total props to Jenny Jurek and Kathleen Egan, my two trail buddies. They did a lot of the planning. This planning part happened amidst house buying, chucking at race directing and book publishing. So I was reading through this like text stream and they put these big, long texts like this is the food I'm bringing or I'm going to try cold soaking or this is the gear. And I'd be like, great. Thanks. Like I just have these like one word answers, but it was awesome because the planning was happening. Right. And I could like read and stay up to date and they, they managed a lot of it. So all told, when we ended up getting on the plane, we had a shuttle booked to the border. So we got in on our full hiking get up or got on the plane in our whole hiking get up and started hiking that day. So landed at the Tucson airport an hour later, we're in a shuttle about three hours later, we were hiking. So we got about eight trail miles. You get dropped off two miles from the border. So we had to hike down and those don't count. And then you turn around and then you start, start the trail. So we got about eight trail miles that night. And then we, our goal was 200 miles and we did it in 10 days. So our average was 20 miles a day, but we had two short days, one on the front end and one on the tail end. So the bulk of the eight days were definitely over 20 mile days. Wow. That sounds so fun. Also, it just seems so like you guys like parachuted in at the last minute and you were hiking within, you know, two minutes of getting off the plane. It just sounds like this crazy adventure of yours. Um, Were you guys hiking or I'm sorry, camping on the side of the trail for these 10 days? And, And I'm just curious how that impacts the the hike that you're on because obviously you did 200 miles very challenging you know every day is sort of you know uh is is almost like a very long stage race and i was curious how that impacted your recovery maybe it was beneficial in some ways i'm just curious about that aspect of things i would say it's beneficial for the experience to like have everything you need on your back And trying also to go as light as possible so that you don't inhibit forward movement by too much weight on your body. Uh, And it's just pretty liberating to just be able to, you know, hike until you're not necessarily hiking until you're tired. We were a little bit more goal goal oriented and wanted to be a certain chunk of miles along the way and had some planned stops worked in. The other lovely piece was we had two resupply points, one in Patagonia, Arizona and one in Vail. The first one was a a, a very tiny town, adorable. I would love to go back to Patagonia. And there was a trail angel there that opens up her yard to hikers. So you you basically walk right by on the highway to her uh, house. And we got whisked away by another trail angel and had a whole lovely experience of just like going with the flow of what the night brought and got to sleep in beds and take showers and do laundry. It was a lovely uh, reset. And our boxes had been mailed to the first trail angel's house so we could resupply food. So we only carried four days of food at a time and then got a resupply. And then the second one was at a 
Candace Burt's house. So the race director of Bigfoot is a avid Arizona trail fan and just trail runner, awesome person in general. And she just like took us under her wing where, and again, Kathleen and Jenny did all of the prep. So the communication happened through them and I just showed up as well. So we landed in her lovely guest house. I guess we were about eight days, no, seven, seven or eight days into the trail at that point. And just for somebody that knows it, she had food like spread out on the counter and the fridge full and clean sheets on the bed and towels for shower. It, any little amenity that a dirty hiker would be so thankful for. She had it like totally decked out for us. She even left her car for us at where the trail crossed the road that was near her house. So we could just shuttle home whenever we got off the trail. It she She really hooked us up in a really spectacular way. So those are our two like bed nights. And then every other night was trailside, like you said, and there's great notes. There's this um, app that used to be called gut hook. It's now called far out and hikers can put notes along the trail. So you can read ahead and find out where there's water, which is a really key thing on the Arizona trail. Like through hiking water is, I mean, we all need water and hiking through the desert. It's even more like you need to be on top of when you're going to collect water, carry water, how much you're going to carry. So those notes on far out were super helpful. And then also for campsites. So when we were looking ahead and setting goals for mileages, we would, you know, buffer here or there a mile or so, depending on where it like had good notes for like a flat spot or less rocky, or you, know, you can actually get your t- tent stakes in the ground kind of thing. It's so interesting that you mentioned Candace because I had her on the podcast. I think it was in 2020. She was preparing for her 800 mile Arizona trail attempt and uh, we recorded beforehand. I was so interested in hearing about how you pack for something like that because she did it a little bit more uh, unsupported, a little bit more rugged. I don't think she had any bed nights. And, you know, that kind of a, a, a weeks long adventure is just uh, it occupies such a large portion of my imagination that I think it's just so exciting. Yeah, um, she had just gone for another. Oh, is she? That's so great. Did she leave recently for that? No, she tried right before we got there. So she had to be home. Her kids were coming home. And so she had to be home by a certain date. So she made she made some of the days, but she did not go the whole distance this time. But she definitely has a great connection with that trail. Yeah. And I've seen pictures of her house on Instagram. And so she probably does have like the perfect trail house to crash at right in the beautiful Arizona desert. It's just really stunning. I'm curious about um, your experience out there on the trail in the wilderness for days on end. Did you have any wild experiences out there with weather, with any wildlife that you might have seen? Or I know you were talking about some characters out there on the trail, and I'm sure that there's some, some very interesting characters. We'll probably have to do an episode just about trail characters, <laughs> but I was just curious what kind of experiences you had out there that are particularly memorable for you. I feel like just getting that time with a couple of good girlfriends was the most memorable. We had a plan to regroup every trail crossing, like pass or road crossing or anywhere like the trail seemed a little like harder to follow just to make sure we stayed together. So some really great conversations happened by like, you know, yo-yoing, there's definitely, you definitely want, I definitely want time by myself out there to just have the headspace of being in that beautiful setting and moving at two to three miles an hour. Like I don't get, I buzz around. I'm a, I love filling my life. And so to be living that simply is such a gift. So what that is, what create, what's created in that space of some good solo time walking along and having girlfriends really close that you can then bounce those thoughts off with each other. Um, there wasn't anything that stood out to me as super crazy. Um, we, we feel like we got through like in a really, um, like we never had to drink really gross water. Instead, we, if we had to pull from, if we were like worried, if we weren't going to have enough, Kathleen came up with this great idea of we carried a liter of dirty, but we didn't waste our filter on it. And so that when we got to the next cache, if the, you know, if it was empty and we couldn't refill from the bear box or whatever, then we would have had a a liter that we could have filtered to get us to the next one. But we like the Arizona trail has such amazing trail angels that every single cache was great, but 
like that would have been, I think, a hard one for me if we'd had to filter some of the water that we carried. There was some nasty cow ponds that we pulled from. I posted on Instagram some stories of us pulling in like the oil slick that was covering my bottle. And I was like, there's no way I want to drink this. But you kind of have to be prepared for it. Um, Weather-wise, it was the drastic changes, right? The desert is so hot, especially us coming from the Pacific, Kathleen and I coming from the Pacific Northwest. I mean, we haven't hit 60 degrees yet. And it was in the 80s and 90s during the day. And then in the night, in the evening time, there was a couple of times where we had to sleep a bit higher so therefore colder. And I maxed out my system. I woke up cold two of the nights because it hit and it got down into the low thirties. So my sleeping system, if we're going to hit in the thirties again, I need to like bump up my sleeping bag a little bit. I went a little light thinking I would sleep in my clothes as well. And even with all of that on, it was, I woke up cold. Um, but one of the, yeah, the weather night was coming off of Mount Micah. And that was in Saguaro National Park. So we'd gone up through the cactus and then up into these great grand pine trees. And then we were just trying to get down as far as we could before sunset and find a flat spot because it was a pretty steep descent. So whenever it like leveled out, you had to decide like, are we going to take this one or are we going to go for a little bit lower? Because it might be a while before it would flatten out again. And the train being technical and us being that was the night we left. We'd stayed at Candace's the night before. So this was our first night back on the trail after that. Um, I I felt like we'd had a long day. We'd done 15 mile climb that had over 6,000 feet of gain. And then we were just descending off the backside as, you know, as fast as we could to get low. Um, it was really windy. We stopped mid hike to actually put on layers because we were getting cold. So there wasn't anything that I've not managed before in an ultra running race. And that was what was really cool is how all these decades of all these two decades of running ultras has prepped me to do something like this, to be able to you pull on those skills learned being kind of vulnerable to weather conditions, terrain, and um, feel comfortable like making good decisions to make, uh, make camp and set up like, to do so before sunset so that we would be in a safe spot rather than trying to descend by little hiking headlamps or something like that. So there was nothing wild and crazy. We did see some cool wildlife, but I felt like our skill set really matched us up for a, a really safe trip. We carried all the gear we needed. There are some people that go super light, like this super light, ultra fast backpacking, and then they get stuck without like a first aid kit or they, you know, they don't have the right kind of shoes on because they went lighter or they're in a really cold situation. Like they, they didn't have us like some people will sleep without sleeping pads. I'm like, man, I was like, my sleeping pad saved me that 30 degree night. Like if I'd been on the ground, that would have been a different deal. So yeah, just knowing the balance of like weight to safety ratio, I feel like, uh, the three of us did a good job of managing that. There was, um, we were very aware that our age relative to everybody else on the trail, like some of them could have been our children there. It's like this like young hiker, like, like twenties, early thirties, and we're all mid forties and almost 50. So it was, it was kind of fun to be the anomaly out there in, in the group that we were hiking amongst, but. Yeah. And you guys were probably showing up all the the young kids with the amount of hiking you were doing on a daily basis and your speed and your competency on the trails. And I do want to talk a little bit more about your background as an ultra runner and how that helped you and the group with this very long kind of stage race sort of hike. But I, I want to go off script for a minute and talk about the 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 kind of aspect of this hike you were mentioning before with you just being alone on the trail you know, with some really good friends, this really slow pace of life. And to me, that sounds so attractive, especially in the year 2022, when we are also distracted, also just bombarded by different types of media all the time. And I'm just wondering how important you think that is and, and how, you know, maybe someone who can't get away for 10 days to go on this kind of adventure, how can we can build some of that into our life? Because I do think it's super important. I agree. Uh, Even if it's one overnight, it's worth it. There is something to be said about multiple days and or nights, because I admit it, it, it was easy to get like 
because there was service along the trails. So you can get sucked back in and like social media and emails and staying on top of work, like, oh, if I get this done now, then I won't have as much when I, you know, backlog when I get home kind of mentality. So I, I personally think it takes at least two, if not three days to separate from that pace, the the pace of life into the, the trail pace. Um, and actually, I would say being around friends, it was even harder to separate because we all had, like, all three of us had to do it. And we all had our own pulls back into our personal worlds at different times. So like that maybe prolonged the, 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 the degree of separation, I guess I'm saying, I'm thinking with that. Um, but I do think it's really important to, to find time to slow down and make your basic needs be the important part. Like you need to eat, you need to drink water and you need to sleep and you need to move forward. Like when life can be that simple, so much like creativity is able to happen. Recovery is able to happen. Uh, just taking in your surroundings and not like not missing things. I think when we're flying through life so fast, like you can not even remember if you locked your car on your way into work or did you wash your hands when you left the bathroom? Cause you're already like texting or something like, like we can miss like pretty little moments of life, but you can also make, miss big moments. So if you slow down to just what the necessities are, you're able to like, I guess, be more mindful and be more present. And then when you can bring that back into the, the daily life, then hopefully there's like, you find some balance between the two. Cause I can't live that life all the time. I love being busy. I love interacting with people. Today I've got calls one, two, three, four, and five o'clock. Like I will be a little bit tired by the end of the day. And I wouldn't call that balance. It might just be the counterbalance to coming back from the trail, but like meshing those two so that there is a bit of like calm and presentness to, to the busy day of, of life. Yeah. And I think there's something to be said about marrying the lack of digital distractions with you being out in the wilderness and kind of being surrounded by that natural beauty. If you can do both and then do it for a couple days, you're just going to be feeling great because it's like that ultimate disengagement from all these distractions that are always pulling us in all these different directions. You know, I started doing uh, phone-free Saturdays and, and that was just a little taste of just slowing things down and not searching for like the next distraction if I got bored for, you know, 30 seconds at a, at a time. And even though I wasn't hiking, you know, the Arizona trail or doing something that special, it still was this really nice way of just disconnecting. And, and I want to get back to that because I've, I've unfortunately used my phone a lot over the last couple Saturdays. But um, let's get back to how your background as an ultra marathoner prepares you for something like this. Do you think it's do you think the physical aspects of your fitness and your ability to run for a very, very long time at a fairly good speed, do you think that was more helpful than the logistical kind of experience that you have with ultra marathons? And you've, you touched on this earlier. I'm just curious which one you think gave you the most advantage for this kind of big adventure. Mm, good question. I do want to acknowledge that your Saturday or cell phone free Saturdays that is a super gift. I think that's special. Like, I don't think there's, I, you said there's like 21,000 people that typically download your, how I would be really curious how many take that time for themselves. Like, I think that's special that you've done that for yourself. Um, as it goes for preparing for ultras or sorry, preparing for hiking through the history of ultras. It's not like I did ultras to prepare for hiking. This is just like following my heart. And these are the things that like appeal to me as I come forward. And I am so lucky to have the skills from the previous experiences, I feel like the, the years of doing the ultras and knowing that my body, like maintaining a level of fitness that I can have that confidence to go like 20 miles a day. Yeah, I can do it. Like that, that, that doesn't come easily to just, when I talk to other people that don't engage in ultra running or long distance running, or even through hiking, and they hear 20 miles a day, it kind of blows people's minds that you would have confidence to do that when you haven't done it before. So I feel like that's a really cool gift that comes from decades of the physical side of it. And then 
I mean, you've seen this book I've written. There's like spreadsheets and planning and pages and budgets and all the logistical side that I love, like my dorky spreadsheet brain loves. So to have that piece also available to help the planning side and just think, I mean, I kind of say like think MacGyver-like through situations. Like you're not always going to have exactly what you need to fix the problem, but like Kathleen's creative pull on the water. Like let's not like destroy our filters in this gross water if we don't have to, but we can carry the dirty and then filter if we need to. So like just being creative and that comes from, you know, previous experiences. She has a amazing amount of through hiking experience, mostly international, but just this last summer they did 1200 miles on the Pacific Northwest trail, her and her husband, which starts in Glacier National Park and goes to the Olympic Peninsula and the terrain and the water caches that they had to go through. And they learned a lot. So she was able to kind of pipe in on things that maybe my ultra runner brain wouldn't have known. So that teamwork aspect that comes from like sharing ultra running with good friends easily transferred over into the hiking experience too. Yeah. And I'm really interested to hear you saying how the confidence you got from all of your ultra marathon training and racing is one of the big advantages that you thought this had, because you just know that your body can handle it. And 20 miles a day doesn't seem too crazy to hike to someone like you, you know, people in my life would probably say that that's, uh, that's why they invented cars. <laughs> I've gotten that yeah. a couple of times. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, totally. you run 10 miles a day. And I'm like, that's really not that, that's really not that much in the grand scheme of things. But Chrissy, let's talk about your book because you have written probably the OG original old school ultra training book, one of the first ultra training books that was published. I think the original, the first edition was published in 2015. And now we have a second edition. Uh, What's new and different in the second edition of your book? Oh, it was so awesome to get to rewrite and revisit the language that I had written in the first edition. The even updating, like I reread every word. I want to say at least five times, (laughs) but there was some language that I thought this one was fascinating, like in the gear section about how when you're picking your running pack, you might want to have room for a GPS device, a phone and a camera and and then also a place for a map. And it's like, that was 2015. And now this phone does all of that and more like you, you don't have to have three or four different devices to get you along the trail. Like a cell phone now does all of that. So that was like a fun update. I updated the language around... I used in the previous edition, I had a chapter that was like for women's like run like a girl was what it was called. And it was just for women. And with all that we learned in the last couple of years, I don't need to hide like women's bodies. Like they're runners. We're all runners. We can all learn about all aspects of how the physical, the female and the male bodies like work through this sport. And like, if we, if we, it just felt like to me, like there's things that we can learn about each other and it doesn't need to be just sectioned off for, um, and, and then to be so binary, it doesn't even need to be binary. So information is just more readily available throughout the whole book as it pertains to runners and whoever wants to run. Um, one of those that's really important that has become even more prevalent lately is REDS, relative energy deficiency syndrome. And that affects both men and women. It used to be called the female triad. And that was when like a woman lost her period. So a female body has uh, a monthly menstrual cycle that if that goes away, that's an indicator of that. We're not healthy that we're there, but men don't have that same indicator. There's other indicators. Uh, So to be able to talk about how reds can affect a runner's body, we need to like all be aware of that. So that was really interesting to collaborate with a couple of um, people that I work with here at the Prime Sports Institute and Andrew Dole, a sports dietitian that lives in New Zealand was a really huge contributor to that. And that's a good segue into, I actually also reached out to about 25 people that actually there's probably about 30 people, 25 got back to me with comments, just whatever you would, if you wanted to say anything in this running book, what would you want to say? And there are people that are coaches, uh, professional athletes themselves in the ultra running world and whatever they wrote, they didn't have to fit into any 
category, but then I use their quotes and put it in to support things that I had written about. So it's fun to have those other voices represented in this um, new edition. And then uh, the training plans now have training logs. So the book is a lot thicker than it was before. Um, So athletes can write down what they actually did. So then in comparison to the training plan that they had and then what they actually did when they review that for a future event, that can be a really helpful, like, you know, Chrissy said to do this, but I did this and this worked for me. So here's my, you know, next plan for going forward. And then what I was really stoked to add was a chapter on longevity. So the fact that I've been in this two decades and I want this sport to be a sustainable practice for whoever takes it on, that's a really important piece. So we need to think about how that longevity goal factors into our training wherever we're starting, whether it's our very first 50K or 20th 50 miler or wherever we're at. Yeah, the the longevity piece I think is interesting because that was a big part of our discussion last year when I had you on the podcast. And that was episode, let's see, 205 for anyone who wants to go back and check that out. But just your two decades in the sport. I know you said multiple decades, many decades. <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm in my two. third now. So <laughs> you're in your third, you're working on number three. Um, I think there's something really amazing to be said about that because ultra running is such a difficult endeavor. And anybody who's been at it for as long as you have and has seen the success that you've had, uh, it's almost like your longevity is, is just as impressive as the race wins and, and all the podium finishes that you've had in your career, because a lot of athletes, you know, their candle burns very bright and and then it sort of goes out in the ultra running world. And so, uh, I think the longevity aspect of things is really important, especially, you know, for us recreational runners where, uh, we're not doing this for a paycheck. And if we're going to go do an ultra marathon, I would assume we want to do it in a safe way so that we're going to stay healthy. We're going to be able to come back from it and maybe do another one if we want to. And that longevity piece is critically important. Now, I'm super stoked that you added training logs to this book because I have been thinking about training logs a lot recently. And, you know, uh, I, I think they can be such useful tools for reflecting on our running And if you do it productively, you can really learn a lot about yourself and about running itself. Um, Can you talk about the metrics that you focus on in the training journal section of your book? What what is, in your mind, some of the more important things for us to track as runners? Uh, It comes from my coaching. So I decide what to put in the training logs from 10, what am I, 12 years now? 12 years now coaching athletes. I have so much fun with them. And the thing that I am like, just instinctively drawn to is how did it feel? Like, I don't look at miles. I don't look at time. I don't look at elevation until I've already read how it felt. I want to know what the day was like, what the run was. And so the description of the run and then how, how it felt and how it felt doesn't necessarily mean like literally just the run, but you know, I didn't sleep as well last night. I probably could have fueled a little better before my run the third repeat on, you know, whatever interval really taxed me. So now I've got this great little narrative of, you know, there's a fuel miss that sleep is obviously going to impact. So what can we do to improve next, the next day's run? And then looking to see, was it a three mile run or 12 mile run? Like how did that, those, how did those feelings or metrics impact the actual numbers kind of thing? So I would say the most important to me is like the, the reflection on the day. And then I love what Kara Goucher did in her training um, book. And what she explains is for her, she tries to write down the positives. So she had these training logs, if I understand it right, where they, you know, it was, it was like literally what happened, but then she switched this switched gears to like the fifth repeat felt the best. She didn't go on to say that the, the sixth and seventh and eighth, she fell off time or anything. She just focused on the positive so that when she was reviewing her logs, she had this like more positive retrospect on her training. So I thought that was a, just in terms of what people write down and then how it impacts their run. We really have a lot of like that control of our thoughts, like how our thoughts control our actions and feelings. And that, that really does play into all of this. So 
I want it to be legit. Like, I don't want somebody to put a bunch of rainbows in there when the day really sucked. Like, I want to know the truth. And I think when you're doing it for yourself, that needs to be there as well. And if you can find something that was positive about the run, include that in there so that you have this like journey that is documented both in like in real time for retrospect, but then like that daily reminder of, I really enjoyed this. Like it's a great, like a gratitude journal. Like what about my run did I love? And so that there's that like highlight moment that you, um, like a nugget of like, and as you write that down, that will light up your brain as, cause you'll remember it in that positive light. So you almost get two like dopamine hits from the run and then reflecting on the good part of the run. I love that. I think that's so productive to think that way. And, and I love how you pulled from your coaching experience to create this, this log. And, you know, I've always thought that coaching is like one part science and one part art. And, you know, there's, there's the numbers, there's the number of miles you ran, the pace that you ran, the splits for your workout, but then there's that whole subjective side of things. And I I think the older I get, the more I value the subjective side of things. And it's funny with the athletes that I coach, I also have a section in a kind of a template training log that I give them that is simply, how did you feel? And that is the number one thing that I look at because, you know, my athletes can go run a 10 mile run. Okay. And, and on paper it could look great, but I really want to know, well, was this 10 mile run that you did in 82 minutes? Was this awful or was it great? Or was it somewhere in between? Because that is actually the data that is most interesting to me, because then it has impact on your future training. It might change how I develop the training over time. And I feel like that subjective side of things is is so much more, uh, almost more important than the objective numbers that you put in there. Of course, that stuff is important. And and I'm curious, because you've said the word reflect and I purposefully use the word reflect on our training. It's very common now for people just to use an online platform like Strava, for example. And I've got nothing wrong with Strava. I'm on Strava. I love it. But it doesn't allow you to reflect on your training because the upload of all the data, which is very objective, is automatic. And, and I'd love for you to talk about, can you just speak to that reflection piece? What do runners get? from reflecting on their training in a more analog way where they have to sit down with a a pen and a piece of paper and actually write things down and think back on their running. Cause I think that's where a lot of magic happens. I do too. And we've, there's a lot missed anymore with, cause everything's so easy and we need to make it easy on our phones. right. Like to have things uh, move along. I have old training logs where I would, you know, write in and, um, had special slots, kind of like what's in this book. So there's the, the tip of the hat to the old way of thinking. Um, for my clients now, there's a Google form that they fill in those questions on how did it feel? What was the run description? What else do you want to say to me? Miles time. And the data can upload the miles time and elevation can automatically upload to our shared spreadsheet. But I do have them at least, I guess, type in or thumb in those, those feeling things. In reflection, like in that daily logging, I would say, maybe it's not fully reflection at that point, but you, you, you take the time to remember what you did. And like, there's a lot like of disbelief and like finding confidence. How about that? Is if you just do all the miles and like check a box or something, maybe even checking the boxes is good. But like, if you just like run through life, you might get to the race and be like, am I ready? But if you've taken the time on a daily basis to write down, like this one went bad, or I saw improvement here, or this was really hard. Oh, I got it this week. Like where you see workout uh, uh, impressions of your workouts improve. You think then you've got that confidence building along the way so that when you get to the race, it's not you convincing yourself, me convincing you, you've figured out or the coach convincing the athlete, I should say. Like hopefully the athlete has that when they get to something that they've put on the calendar that has been driving them for two, three, six months or whatever. Um, And I guess that kind of relates back to that comment on the AZT is like to have the confidence of what 20 miles a day hiking, that's like a lot of reflection on two decades of, of running. So eventually, hopefully there gets to be a point where 
I love actually doing this with my clients when we do get close to a race, especially one that's taken like six to 12 months to prep for. When we can go back and look at the summary of the stats, like, and just show the miles that they've completed in that amount of time, talk through some of those notes that I pulled out of like, you know, this workout you used to do, you didn't even get it. Like we had to talk through how to execute it. And now it's like your favorite workout. So just showing that progress, it helps, it shows growth of of us as humans. And the other piece I would just add, like similar to what we find by going out into nature and unplugging is like taking a moment to be present, like, and acknowledging rather than forgetting, did you lock your car when you walked away? Like, yes, you did your run. I, and I wrote it down. So maybe we need a little bit more of that as, as humans, as everything else gets to be so fast around us. Yeah, it's like the purposeful slowing down of your running, not not in terms of pace, but in terms of that reflection that happens afterward. And, you know, I, I almost think of it as a learning process. And if you're skipping the reflection part of it, if you're not kind of thinking about, hey, this is how I felt today, and, and I'm writing it down in my log while I can look at the day before and the day before that, and you start making connections and you start predicting, well, if I felt really good today and I have a workout tomorrow, that that is a piece of good news for me. And I feel like the learning process can be somewhat stunted if you're not engaging with your running in this very reflective, very slow and purposeful way. And, and I think that's an important part of things. It might not be realistic for everybody though. Like I do think sometimes that's why they hire me is that like I review their schedules weekly. And so they, like I get to have that bird's eye view and then help point those things out to a person. So like, I guess I'm, I would say maybe it doesn't have to happen daily, but it has to happen. So hopefully in like the logging, there's something happening, but then like when a, whether you do it for yourself by looking over the week or a coach looks over your week and gives you that reflection and then you read through it, it it does have to happen. And um, I guess as being a person that can empathize with being busy and buzzing through the world, like don't tell me to slow down all the time. I don't know if I'll even take this on. So, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And and I think the coach is, is a good resource in this discussion as the person who can help facilitate that reflection and help you in the learning process and understand how all the pieces of your training and how you feel on a day-to-day basis and and other external things like your sleep, hydration, your diet, all those things sort of fit together. And so I think the coach is, is a really important resource there. Now, Chrissy, with training logs, you know, there's there's good ways to do it. There's, I think, some bad ways to do it. Are there any mistakes or common errors that you've found maybe when you first start working with an athlete who's not used to the training log that you provide them when, you know, runners are talking to you about how they record their running, how they reflect on their running? Are there any kind of, you know, common mistakes that you see in that area? I wouldn't call them mistakes. I would just whatever works for that person. Like I have individuals that will write good and on one day and then bad on another. And then I have clients that will fill the cell with, you know, a couple paragraphs about their day and whatever works for them. I feel like I, my, my job as a coach is to meet them where they're at. And I'm prompt. Like if I meet, like, especially if I see, like, I don't like to get stuck on like good and bad because that means that something's right or wrong. And there's not many things in life that are that black and white. There's so much gray area. So I just, maybe if I need a little bit more information, I'll, you know, send some prompts or something like that or get on the phone and get a more personal uh, review of it. Um, I don't, I mean, I can't, I wouldn't say there's mistakes. I just, people have their own way of doing it and it's my job to meet them where they're at. Yeah. That's a good point too. I think, yeah, I think maybe if, if there was a mistake, it's just, not keeping a training log or or (laughs) keeping the the absolute bare minimum in your training log that doesn't allow you to reflect as much. Um, But yeah, thanks for humoring me on this training log discussion. I also have, I have a stack of more than a dozen old training logs that span from my high school years. And so it's almost this amazing time capsule. You go back in there and you're like, oh, I was running this trail that I wrote about that I've completely erased from my memory that that 
I spent so much so much time on as a 17-year-old. And it's this is amazing look back at your running career. So I'm obviously, if our listeners can understand here, I'm obviously a big fan of an analog training journal. So I'm <laughs> thrilled you included it in the second edition of your book. Um, Chrissy, what is, I, I don't want to cause any anxiety for you because I know you like to be busy and <laughs> you've just <laughs> done so many, so many things over the last couple months, but what does summer look like for you? Are you gearing up for another new adventure? Oh, well, this actually might surprise you. I have a goal of like kind of settling a bit. And what that looks like to me is like making a home. I've lived in the van for the last 20 months. And now that I have a space and I get to like set down some roots here in Bellingham, my word of the year is roots. I want to focus on that. And I, I see a lot of great energy around that. And knowing myself, I like to get out and I want to use the van for what I bought it for an adventure a bit. I'd love to be down at Hard Rock this summer and support a good friend of mine. His name's Jeff List. He's running his 10th Hard Rock. Um, I'm supposed to be at Miwok on May 7th. Uh, I hope my back will come around in that amount of time so that I can join that fun starting line. And just some like local adventures. There's a lot around here that I found during the pandemic that was just incredible. And I always have joked, like, this is a place like the North Cascades or the Olympic Peninsula are a couple of hours from where I live. And I travel like 30, 40 hours around the world to go run around Kilimanjaro or something. And I've got some place like right here that people come to, you know, travel just equally as far to like get to witness the Pacific Northwest. So again, finding some balance between my wanderlust tendencies and setting some roots here in Bellingham. Well, that sounds like an adventure in and of itself. And that really resonates with me because being a resident of Denver, I also live an hour or two or three from just some amazing mountain adventures here in Colorado. And it's something that I'm really looking forward to this summer. Awesome. Yeah. Enjoy. Yeah. Do you have it's like any specifics that are like pinpoints on the map or the calendar? Well, I have three kids, so I have yet to even summit a 14er, even though I've been living in Denver for years and years. Um, but they are getting older now, and I'm excited to take them on some adventures, be kid-friendly adventures to start. Um, but yeah, I, I wouldn't say I have a super specific one. Uh, I have a buddy of mine that's been trying to get me to do uh, a certain 20-something mile hike that reaches three different peaks in the mountains that... Um, I think you can do in a day if you're being pretty aggressive. Uh, so I, we might try to do that. And well, that sounds like a good one. I think that'll be, a, that'll be an amazing adventure, of course. But the great thing about Colorado is that, you know, you can just do a quick Google search and come up with an amazing adventure that's probably not too far from you. Oh, totally. I lived in Boulder for a little bit and one of my, oh, four, almost four years, one of my favorite easy ones was easy, but like Grays and Tories. It was just like... It was fun and you got to like, you ran up to the saddle and then hit one and hit the other and came back down. I couldn't even tell you how many miles it was, but it was a fun, hopefully that would be like, I could see kids maybe being able to do that one. Yeah. Is that near, is that like the green mountain summit and, um, the, the there's a, a summit very close by I've done a little bit of that where you can run up there from Boulder and tag both oh, summits. You're thinking about the flat irons. Um, no, the Grays and Tories, I'd have to look. They're a little bit of a drive from Boulder, but Grays and Tories are both 14ers. Oh, okay. So you could hit two 14ers in a, but the flat irons, yeah. And the, um, there's, there's flat irons, one, two, and three, but there's green, bear, and Sinitas, and there's one, oh, Flagstaff. There's a couple of peaks that are like 8,000 feet right out of Boulder. Yeah, I did green and bear, which was just beautiful. And I, I love running up there just because it's so accessible and the trails have something for everyone. I mean, you're going to be climbing up some steep hills, but then it it flattens out and some of it's exposed and some of it's in like these beautiful wooded forests. So you just get a lot of variety and it's just such a, I feel like a cup filling experience to be out there. Oh yeah. There the summer. Yeah. Well, Chrissy, thanks so much for your time. I don't want to, I want to be respectful of it. Congrats again on the 200 mile hike, the home purchase, the second edition of your book. I mean, you have been so busy and uh, I just want to say thank you for all you do for the running community. You're such a force to be reckoned with and I'm thrilled to have you on a second time. 
Well, it's great to get to chat with you again. I appreciate your follow-up. And that's our show today, my friends. If you're getting value from the show, please consider leaving a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Now, if you enjoy the show, you can support us by supporting our supporters. There's so much support going on. (laughs) These are all companies that I trust. I use myself and that contribute to the running community. Inside Tracker is a company that I've been working with for years and I really hope to continue for years to come. They're one of the most reputable personal blood testing companies that you can find. And their goal is to help you analyze your body's biomarkers, things like stress hormones, testosterone, vitamin D, sex hormones, mineral levels, and more. And using your personal data, they create optimal ranges for each of these biomarkers. So if you're outside of your optimal zone, They then have an ultra-personalized nutrition platform that gives you science-backed suggestions for moving into your preferred zone. This helps you avoid any health problems, optimize your training, improve your performances, and reduce your injury risk. I've personally gotten three ultimate tests myself, and the process is easy, simple, and very eye-opening. They also have at-home testing, so if you don't want to go to the lab, you can stay home, and the whole process will only take about 15 minutes. Go to insidetracker.com slash strengthrunning to see how you can get 25% off site-wide on any personalized blood test that they offer. Of all the purchases you can make for your running, this one can actually improve your performances. It's a wonderful opportunity, and you can see all those details at insidetracker.com slash strengthrunning. We're also supported by the Spartan Race Series. You've probably heard of Spartan Races but you probably don't know that they offer such a wide variety of types of races. From short to long distance obstacle courses and even ultra distances, to trail races, stadium races, and even city races in major metropolitan areas. They also have kids races, and I'm hoping to bring my kids to the Spartan Race in Colorado Springs on June 12th. If you're local to Colorado, it'd be so great to meet. Go to Spartan.com and find an event near you. And what I love about more challenging races like obstacle course races is that they diagnose your weaknesses. They're a diagnostic tool to help you pinpoint what area of your fitness might be lacking. Do you have a general aerobic deficiency? Do you struggle with upper body strength? Can you handle the stop and start nature of OCRs? Do you have the mobility to perform the obstacles? Signing up for a race that challenges you like this in such a different way is a helpful way of finding out more about yourself as an athlete. Go to Spartan.com to see all of their race options, find one near you, and hopefully I can see some of you at the June Spartan race here in Colorado. Thanks for listening, sharing, subscribing, telling your friends, shouting it from the rooftops, supporting the Strength Running Podcast. I so appreciate all of you. If there's ever something I can do to help your running, Don't hesitate to reach out. Email me at support at strengthrunning.com and I'll see if I can help. We'll be in touch soon. 